If you would, take your Bible and open to Joshua chapter 13. We're continuing to, over the next several weeks, finish up our study of Joshua while we do 1 Corinthians uh, on Sunday mornings. There was a half sheet of paper in the middle of the table back there in the back. If you would like to have that for some notes to follow along with tonight. And then also on the table back there were a couple of little cards in reference to the marriage conference coming up the second Saturday of February. We've had an incredible response to that in terms of registration. And so we are in the process of starting to reach out to some of you, uh, asking you to help us in different ways with that conference when it comes. And so Hopefully you'll be hearing from Katie at some point about some ways you can get involved. If you don't hear from Katie but you'd like to get involved, come to me and we'll find you ways uh, to serve. There are plenty of, plenty of opportunities to serve that night with different things that, that are going on. I've also had some people come to me and say, we can't come, we're just not going to be able to do it, but we'd like to pay for some couples to come. And so we've been able to use some of that scholarship money in, in those ways. And so I appreciate those of you who have, who have done that. Also on the back table were those uh, spiritual gift shape packets that are going along with our daily email devotion. And if you'd like to take one of those and fill that out, you can, can do that as part of the Lord's work in your life. I've enjoyed getting some emails and text messages from people saying, how do you see God at work in my life? How do you see God empowering me to serve others? And so it's fun to get those text messages and emails from you and, and to be able to reply to that as you're working through this process of what are my spiritual gifts, how has God shaped me to serve in the body. If you're not comfortable putting that information into your My Emmaus account after this week, give those packets back to us, and uh, we'll be glad to, to take, care of that, take care of that for you. So, all right, without further ado, and because tonight is such a fun topic, let's, uh, let's get, get started on it. We are talking about a discipleship of aging tonight. In other words, how to grow old loving Jesus um, is, is what we're talking about tonight. Some of this material is adapted from a man named Pete Scazzaro. Our staff is reading a book by Scazzaro and some of his other material that, that I've worked with he does a really good job dealing with this topic and different things he's been through, and so uh, half of this is mine, I would say, and half of it's his, and somewhere in the middle is, is where it all meets together, but um, I've kind of adapted his and, and, and tied it together with some of my own things. Okay, let's start in Joshua chapter 13, verse 1. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years. One of the great moments in the Bible, right there in Joshua 13. As if Joshua didn't already know he was old, the Lord reinforces it for him. You are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. This is the land that yet remains. All the regions of the Philistines and all those of the Geshurites, from the Shihor, which is east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron, it is counted as Canaanite. There are five rulers of the Philistines, those of Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron, and those of the Avim in the south, all the land of the Canaanites, 
and Meorah, that belongs to the Sidonians, to Aphek, to the boundary of the Amorites, and the land of the Gebelites, and all Lebanon, toward the sunrise, from Baal, God, below Mount Hermon, to Lebo Hamath. All the inhabitants of the hill country, from Lebanon to Mishrapath Maim, even all the Sidonians, I myself, in verse 6, right there in the middle, the Lord says, I myself will drive them out before the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance, as I have commanded you. Now, therefore, divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. So as those place names are given there at the beginning of chapter 13, what that is signifying, really, the land that remains is essentially on the outskirts of the Holy Land, kind of along the south, going up the what would actually be the east coast of the Mediterranean Sea, but the western side of the Holy Land, and then up toward the north. So what has happened is to this point in Joshua, from a war strategy, purely from a war strategy, they have kind of punched in to the core of the Holy Land, and they've established themselves with the conquest up to this point. So they, they have the middle area, and what remains is to start to take the area around the edges. And so the Lord has led them in this direction, but if you're thinking about it from just where are they, what's going on, they've kind of punched into the core of the enemy territory, begin to take that, and then they'll work around the edges. So that's what is, is going on when you read all those names there that are hard, hard to pronounce. Now, we're going to focus primarily tonight on the concept behind verse 1, that at this point, Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, what does he say to him? Hey, take it easy, Uh, enjoy retirement, sit back and relax, you've done a great job up to this point. That's not what he says. He doesn't say what we would expect him to say right there, and instead he says, look to the future. I brought you to this point, and I'm going to carry you forward. The one who is faithful is the one who will carry you forward. And so how does that impact the way we think about old age? How does that impact the way we think about growing older? First point, not even really a point on your notes, just a little bullet point to get you started on your notes. Why should a 35-year-old preach about aging uh, or, or getting older? Well, the first thing is because... Our new finance assistant came to me today and said, Owen, I want to make sure this is right. It looks like your health and life insurance has gone up this year versus what you paid last year. Yeah, thanks. I moved into a new bracket. So uh, I've made it to another bridge bracket as far as, so we had to increase my deduction out of my paycheck because I moved into a new bracket. So I felt the pain of of growing older today. Early, early in this, uh, this process. It came, came home to me in, in a big way. But the reason we talk about this is because Scripture speaks often about aging. I hadn't really thought about this, but you only get a couple of chapters into the Bible when God starts mentioning people's ages. Um, just out of curiosity, if you want to flip back over to Genesis, some of these places you're, you're willing to I mean, you're obviously able to open to if you want to, or you can just listen, but you get to chapter 5, five books into the, uh, the Bible. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, 
He fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years and other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. And so starts a pattern that goes throughout so much of scripture that so-and-so lived a certain number of years and died. So-and-so lived a certain number of years and died. And you go all the way through. You get to Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. When God starts to see, uh, well, it just started at the beginning of chapter 6. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. So you can already start to see that paring down of, of the years. You get to, um, on the back of your notes, a series of verses that, that I've just listed. And this is obviously not an exhaustive list, but just different places in the Bible. Leviticus 19.32 is always a good one. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. So stand in the presence uh, of old age, honoring old age. First Chronicles 29.28, David died at a good age, full of days, riches, and honor, and Solomon his son reigned in his place. You'll see that same type of reference for Abraham, for Moses, this idea of uh, died at a good old age, full of days. Um, Job 12, is not wisdom found among the age, does not long life bring understanding. A couple I would point you to particularly that stand out. Psalm 71.18, even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, until I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. That's a great life verse just to hold on to there uh, about Psalm 71. Everyone loves Proverbs 17.6. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is, is their fathers. Uh, Proverbs 23, 22, another good one to hold on to. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Uh, feel free to you know, hang that in your house or, or put that to use, however, would be, would be helpful, uh, helpful to you. Uh, Isaiah 46, 4, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you, and I will carry you. I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. And then probably the most famous one from the New Testament down there, 2 Timothy 4. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So anyway, just a couple of notes there to see that Scripture has a lot to say about aging, has a lot to say about old age and the number of years that we're, that we're given to live. So we're not just randomly picking a topic here that has never shows up in Scripture. This is a big deal uh, throughout the pages of the Bible. Second point about why a 35-year-old would preach about aging is this need for respect for all generations. You see such a balance in Scripture over this. 1 Timothy 4.12, the young are the ones who are called to set the example for those who are older. Set the example for the believers in life and speech and love and faith and purity, that you're the ones laying out the, the model. Titus 2, though, says that the old are given the example, to, are given the charge to set an example, that older men and older women should be mentors for those who are younger. Show them how to live. That's the picture in Titus 2. 
1 Peter 5, young are called to respect their elders, respect those who are older. But 1 Timothy 4.11, Paul turns around and says to a young Timothy to command the church what to do. And so there's a place for young who will lead the old. What you see throughout Scripture is this picture of generations needing one another. That God's plan is not that generations, multiple generations, is a burden. God's plan is that multiple generations is a gift to his people. That through generations, his wisdom and his gospel and his way of life is passed down one generation to another. And so we, we embrace that, but we real, realize it also causes a lot of tension. That it's easy for those who are an older generation to feel being like they're pushed aside. And we live in a culture where oftentimes that is the case. And so as Christians, we're called to uh, live alongside and care for those who are aging, not in the way of, hey, just get out of the way, um, as the former governor of Colorado said so poorly a few years ago about, uh, frankly, just that older people need to die, and it would be a lot easier on the healthcare system. Well, it would be, except that that completely devalues the dignity of human life created in the image of God. As Southern Baptists, we make a big deal out of sanctity of human life Sunday coming up. But we do so believing that from the very moment of conception to the very last breath that we uphold life. And sometimes sanctity of human life becomes all about preventing abortion, which is a, a great thing to focus on. But we lose sight that sanctity of human life is also how we care for those who are older, how we care for those who are sick, that people aren't just shoved to the side and pushed off to the side, that the church is called to, to care for those. And so sanctity of human life goes from the very beginning of life to the very end of life. Um, and I realize that there's those, those tensions in, involved there. Um, point C, we learn to live in stages and seasons of life. There's that great verse in Luke 2.52 where Luke is summarizing Jesus' life between the time he was 12 and the time he was 30, where it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. That we go through these stages of life, these stages of development. At OBU, when I was there um, in college, there's a man named Dale Griffin, who's actually still at OBU, still involved in administration there. But he spent some time with me and was kind of a mentor to me. He gave me some of the best advice that, that I've gotten just about the process of learning and growing. Dale encouraged me to live my life in decades. Um, he said, you're going to be so tempted in your 20s and 30s to be a shooting star. He said the problem of being a shooting star in your 20s and 30s is that oftentimes those shooting stars fizzle out. There's no foundation Things begin to fall apart, and you, you live in such a way that your 20s or your 30s becomes everything about your life. He said, in, in my experience, my greatest years of ministry are my 50s, 60s, going into my 70s. He said, you establish your identity. You learn who you are in your 20s and 30s. You just live your life in decades. If the Lord gives you another decade, those decades that come before are a foundation for what, what he has for you. And it was so liberating for me, as a 21-year-old college student who feels like you know everything and you're ready to take the world by storm, just live your life in decades. If the Lord gives you that, go for it. Continue to, to, seek, to seek after him. Uh, my parents gave me great advice when I was in high school. Their advice was, don't let your life peak in high school. <laughs> uh, we, went to a, uh, 
We went to a small school, you know, where small town sports is everything. And there were some really, really good sports teams when I was a middle school junior high kid. We had some incredible high school sports teams. Um, and when you're in a school as a junior higher and you have a good high school, those high school athletes are gods. I mean, they are looked up to as everything. The problem is, for a lot of those guys, life peaked in high school. And everything else was a drop-off after that. And my parents were just saying, don't peak in high school. Like, the Lord has so much for you. Continue to look at where, where he's leading you to. And that's true for churches. We live as even as a church goes along, seasons of life change. It's true for pastoring. Uh, to a scary degree, uh, you can track a pastor's tenure in terms of, hey, this is what's going to happen, and then it's going to be a hard time, and then there's a season of fruit, and then you'll hit another bump, and then there's a season of fruit. Uh, just That's how life is lived. And so you don't say, I'm great in the good times, and you don't panic in the hard times. You just trust the Lord that he's working it to, to guide, us, guide us as we go. And so aging allows a 35-year-old to say, if the Lord gives me another year, I'll live another year for him, but I'm just going to live my life in seasons as, as he gives it to us. And then finally, and this is probably the most important there, point D, how we think about aging will affect how we live today no matter our age. If you have a weak theology of aging, you'll be tempted to live for the things of this world because everything has to be gained now. And you'll do everything in your power to resist aging. Everything that says, I can't move. I, because everything that would ever be of any good is found right now. So the idea of growing older or moving forward is completely resisted because I need everything right here, right now. If you have a strong biblical theology of aging, you will say, I trust the Lord. He has given me these days, however many I've given to live as Christ, to die as gain. So I don't fight aging, I don't resist aging, I know aging is a gift, and when these days are done, I'm with the Lord forever. And so when you have that strong theology, what are you doing? You're not living for the things of this world, you're laying up treasures in heaven, because every day is simply a gift from God to be given to him. You can find a person's theology of aging based on whether they live for the things of the world or whether they live for the things of the Lord. Uh, and I know it's kind of a harsh, direct way to put it, but that reveals what our theology of aging is all about. Okay, let me walk you through a couple of points about discipleship of aging. Joshua and Caleb are models of courageous faith and godly aging. You go back there to Joshua 13. Where it talks about, in verse 1, Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. Then you skip down to the middle of verse 6. I myself will drive them out before the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance, as I have commanded you. Now therefore, Divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. So Joshua will remain involved in the Lord's plans, but his involvement begins to change a little bit. He's not fighting quite as many battles at this point, but what he is doing is he's using his influence 
and he's using his inheritance, and he's setting up the people for what's going to come next. Now, that's a, that's a difficult shift um, when you go from being in the middle of the battle to kind of directing the battle or passing off the battle. That's a, that's a hard transition, but Joshua, you see him going through that transition from involvement to influence to inheritance. He's been in the battle, he's influenced the battle, and now he's passing off the battle. But yet, all of that is the work of the Lord because the key is the middle of verse 6. God reminds him, I myself will drive, out, drive them out before the people of Israel. <laughs> This mirrors, this is an exact parallel to the transition from Moses to Joshua. So what God is doing in Joshua 13, he's saying, remember Moses? I did all that work. Moses grew old, he died, and he passed it off to you. Your conquest of the land, I did all that work. You were faithful, I was with you, you've grown old, now you're going to pass it off to, to someone else. Uh, Dale Davies has that great quote where he says that the mortality of his servants does not handicap the purposes of God. Um, What God is purposing to do, what God is going to do is not stopped by the mortality of his servants. Value in that life, God says, live a good life and I will continue to be at work because I'm the one who is doing this to to begin with. And so uh, you think about that reference in Exodus where it says, uh, a Pharaoh came who knew not Joseph. Um, a time is going to come when our name and all of its greatness passes, passes by. Uh, I went back to, to my high school a few years ago. This is embarrassing to even share this, but um, I went back to my high school a few years ago. And when I was in high school, I won academic all-state. And they gave us a flag. And in a moment that I despise to this day, they flew this flag out the front of, of the high school that one of their high school people was academic All-State, and it was up there on the flagpole. Do you know where I found that flag when I went back to, to the high school? It was stuffed back in a corner uh, behind a whole bunch of old trophies that they had decided they didn't have room for in the trophy cabinet anymore. I was like, I haven't even made it to 40 and they've totally forgotten about me. They've taken my flag, and they've stuffed it behind this trophy case that they don't have room for anymore. It was just another reminder. A time will come that they don't know your name, that you've lived the life that God's called you to live. You're faithful in that time. You'll grow older, and the Lord will continue to do his work until Jesus comes back. Just continue to to be aware of that. Joshua's a reminder of this. Now, in a really fun example, skip over to Caleb, because Caleb is a little bit different. Joshua 14 Verse 6. I love Caleb's story here. Joshua 14, verse 6. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea concerning me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your feet has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord. Listen to verse 10. And now behold... The Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke his word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. 
I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for coming or for going and coming. Now, you've known guys like this. Even if that's not true, no one's telling Caleb that that's not true. <laughs> if he's 85 and says he was as strong as he was when he's 40, he's as strong as he was when he was 40. Uh, I've known some guys like this that uh, you play basketball with them into their old age and you go across the lane and they hit you and you go flying into the ground because they really are as strong as they were when they were 40 years old. And you sure don't tell them they're not as strong as they were when they were 40 years old. And so Caleb represents this fierce faith, this, this, faith, this fierce confidence in the Lord. Verse 12, so now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Caleb continues to hold on to the word of the Lord. He believed the word of the Lord when he was 40. He believes the word of the Lord when he's 85. And at 85, uh, to use kind of modern language, he's ready to charge hell with a water pistol. Like, he is in the game. He wants to be involved. He's this guy of incredible, courageous faith late in life. Let's jump down to a couple of points about, about this, the discipleship of aging. Point A, under, under Roman numeral two. Following Christ impacts every area and every stage of life. So we talk a lot about how our Christianity can't be compartmentalized. You can't say I'm a Christian in this area, but I really kind of control my own finances and at work I'm my own person and when I'm with my friend. We realize you can't live for Christ that way. Christ dominates every area of our life. Equally so, he, he dominates every stage of our life. There's no stage in our life in which we say, and now this is mine. Which, which is the modern danger of retirement? Um, that I would ever say, and now this is mine. I'll do what I, my time what I want, I'll do with my money what I want, because now I've reached this point. That's that allure, that's that temptation that comes with any time in life that we say, and now this is mine. No, it's, it's all God's. From beginning to end, every area of life, all from God, all for God. Next point, we are called, gifted, and empowered by God for his purposes until we die. Uh, you might hear us talking about spiritual gifts and say, hey, that's great, those younger people are earning their spiritual gifts. You are gifted by God's Spirit until the moment you die, and then you're with the Lord forever. Spiritual gifts is not something just for the younger people. It is for every member of, of the body of Christ. Next point, we do transition often, not always, but often from paid to unpaid work. This requires a really strong theology of what is meant by work in the Bible, that work is a good part of both God's original creation and his new creation, uh, that work should drive generosity and leisure, not the other way around, that, that work, being active, doing what God's called us to do is at the core of what it means to live, and we're able to be generous, and we're able to have times of leisure because we're doing the work that God has called us to do, which leads to another important point. We have to make sure we define work and productivity correctly. As a person ages, when you're not able to do as much as you once could, or not able to do the things you did before, it's easy in that moment to start to feel less valuable. And remember, Satan is the great accuser. And his great accusation 
to older people in the kingdom of God is you're worthless. You're useless. You're no longer valuable. And you start to tell yourself that a couple of times, and before you know it, you start to buy into it, and you start to believe it, and the accuser gets into your head with those lies, when the reality is, yes, you can't do some of the things you did before, but that doesn't mean that God has not gifted you to be actively involved in his kingdom. And so what that work looks like may change. And, and I've seen people, and, and watching people right now that, that I know really well, go through that transition from paid work to unpaid work, from having a job to retirement. That transition is every bit as hard as going from, say, like college into the workforce. Because what you find is so much of your identity is wrapped up in that job that when that job is not there anymore, you have to rethink core identity. You have to rethink where my value is. You have to rethink what it means to, to be involved in work. That can bring on depression, it can bring on anxiety, that can bring on every type of temptation. And, and so I think just being vigilant in that to know God still called me to work, it may just look different in what God has called me to do, but work is still valuable. He's still empowering me to be involved in his kingdom. Um, Pete Gazzaro, Gazzaro makes the point there that the God of the Bible regularly turns older people's lives upside down. Uh, Abraham and Sarah Life turned upside down at a very old age, 99 and 90, not expecting that baby. Uh, you know, life is, life is turned upside down for them. Moses, life doesn't really start to take off for Moses until he's 80, uh, when he is called to lead the people uh, out of Egypt. Zechariah and Elizabeth, Zechariah says, I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. You don't know which is worse, an old man or advanced in years, but they're old when the Lord calls them to have a baby. Anna, Anna is 84 years old. She had been married for seven years, a widow all that time. When she's 84, she did not depart from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. Polycarp, do you know the name Polycarp? Polycarp was one of the early church fathers. Polycarp was the bishop of, of Smyrna in kind of modern-day Turkey. He lived from A.D. 70 to A.D. 55. He was found out as a Christian, brought before, brought before the, the emperor, or the, the governor there, and the governor says, swear, and I will release you. All you have to do is curse the Christ. To this, Polycarp gave his most famous response. Eighty and six years have I served him, and he hath done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? Um, at 84, Polycarp stands before the governor and says, I'm not going to deny Christ. He's been faithful to me all this time. Raymond Lowell. Raymond Lowell was born in a, to a wealthy family um, off the coast of Spain in 1235. He became a missionary to Muslim countries in northern Africa. He learned Arabic, and he was run out of Africa in 1291 and forced to go back to Spain, where he became a teacher of Arabic, became a professor. His friends urged him to enjoy his retirement, just kick back, relax, have a good time. He refused. He went back to North Africa, where at the age of 80, he was martyred uh, for his faith when he went back to reconnect with those believers that he had led to the Lord. Charles Simeon. Charles Simeon was famous Anglican minister of the Holy Trinity Church in uh, Cambridge, one of the strong evangelical churches in, uh, in that part of the world. When he was 47, he had been the minister there for 22 years uh, by the time he was 47 years old. 
He got very ill at the age of 47, and for the next 13 years, could almost not fulfill his duties there at the church. When he was 60, he became almost miraculously healed. And when he was 60 and was healed, he looked back and remembered that 60 was always the age he had identified when he was going to retire and live out the good life. And the Lord, Simeon felt very strongly, took those 13 years from 47 to 60 and said, and now, and now you will serve me that you're 60 years old. Simeon went on to establish a school for pastors that to this day, a lot of that material is still used in, in the training of pastors, and all that happened after the age, age of 60. Uh, J. Oswald Sanders, who led the China Inland Mission, became known as the Overland, uh, what's that called? Overland Missionary Fellowship. Goes back to Hudson Taylor, that organization that started with Hudson Taylor in China. J. Oswald Sanders led that ministry. He wrote a book every year from the time that he was 70 to the time that he was 89. His writing career took off when he was 70, and by the time he was 89, he was still writing a book uh, every year. Here's a great story that is, is pretty well known maybe. In, well, I say it's well known. You may have read it at some point. Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were both killed as mis- missionaries in Cameroon. Ruby was over 80. She had been single all her life, and she poured it out for one great thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the unreached, the poor, and the sick. Laura was a widow, a medical doctor, who was almost 80 years old and was serving at Ruby's side in Cameroon. They both died in a car crash in 2000. Their story became well known when John Piper, who was their pastor at Bethlehem Baptist in uh, in Minneapolis, shared this story with a group of college students at an event called One Day um, in 2000. And essentially, he got up and told these students, let me tell you two stories. And he told them the story of Ruby and Laura giving their lives as missionaries at the age of 80. And then he read a story from Reader's Digest about these two people who had retired early in their 50s to move to Florida and play softball and collect seashells. And in what becomes this incredible moment in this story that really reverberated for people in my generation and and is still there, he lays out these two stories and said, which of these is a great tragedy? People would say, look at these two ladies. Their car careened over a, a hill in Chile. They gave up their lives as missionaries. That's a great. And he says, no, no, no. The great tragedy is that you would stand before the creator of the universe and say, here's my seashells. This is what I gave my final years for, is to play softball and collect seashells, or I gave my final years to reach out to people who have never heard the name of Jesus. Which of those do you want to be to be your legacy? Powerful story to think about. God, what am I living for? What are you calling me toward? One of the dangers with those stories is that you get caught up in saying, well, and that's really great, but I'm not going to Chile or North Africa or any of those places. But that doesn't mean that you can't be completely faithful to what the Lord is calling you to right now. That no matter our age, no matter our situation in life, that we would be faithful to what the Lord has put in front of us. We don't have time to get to it, but there on uh, kind of the bottom of, of your notes, the hazards of aging. You see some scriptural examples of ending poorly. 
Saul comes to a very bad end in life. Uzziah is probably one of the famous. You can read the story of Uzziah in 1 Chronicles 26. Um, lives for the Lord for 52 years, and his life falls apart at the end because of pride. Um, Pete Cazero lays out the seven deadly sins as a caution for growing older. That in our old age, these sins in particular and the ways that are laid out there can become a tripping point to serving the Lord completely. What are the gifts of aging? First, developing a theology of limits, meaning every one of us is limited in how much we can do. And it is okay. Limits are a gift from God to every one of us to remind us we're not God. You have limits when you're 20. You have limits when you're 35. You have limits when you're 85. And those limits are always a gift from God to remind us that he's God and we're not the gift of accumulated wisdom, <laughs> you've been around the block. You've seen things. You know things. You can perceive things. That's a gift. That's a gift to be shared. And then finally, and I would want to end with this, that eternity and heaven become a driving force for urgent evangelism and holiness. My prayer is that at Emmaus, that revival, that evangelistic revival would happen not just among youth or college students or young parents where it needs to happen, but what does it look like when evangelistic fervor and revival happens among older adults? That God would call us to say, we're going to give our lives to those things. It's so easy to get distracted in life, but God, no matter how many years I have left to give, let me give it to evangelism, to sharing the gospel, and let me pursue holiness with everything that I have. Because when I stand before you, I don't want to show you my softballs and seashells. Nothing wrong with softballs and seashells. There's a, there's a place for that. But is that really what we want to offer to the Lord? Or saying, Lord, every day that you gave me, I, I lived ultimately for you. Um, let's be like Joshua and Caleb. That's, that's the call right there. All right, we're out of time. Let me, let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the gift of, of being a part of a church like Emmaus. Father, thank you for the multiple generations that you have placed here. Uh, the gift of being able to learn from one another, love one another, care for one another, serve alongside one another. God, I'm so thankful for my kids having a chance to be a part of that. For me, as a young pastor, being able to learn and grow in, in that sort of church. God, I pray that you would drive us more than ever toward evangelism and holiness, God, that we would give ourselves to all that you've called us to do. We would not draw back in fear. We wouldn't be overcome by accusations of useful, uselessness or I can't bring anything to the table. God, we would just ask, how do you want to work in my life? How do you want to work through my life? And however many days you give us, God, that we would live fully for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.